Hey team, it's Matt Drinkon here. And you might have heard, my brand new book releases on Amazon on March 8th. It's been a labor of love that I think can really help you navigate some of the challenges you're experiencing in your own life. I go over toxic positivity and how to think you're in it for everyone else. In reality, you're in it for yourself. And I express that through this entire book and help learn from our own mistakes and how to turn the lens on ourselves and ask good questions. So go to Amazon on March 8th and you can get the Kindle version for only 99 cents. Just search for the book title, The Eternal Optimist. It's never too late. And you can download it directly to your device. That's it for me. Let's get into today's episode. Hello, and welcome to the Eternal Optimist Podcast. My name is Matt Drinkon, and I am the host who's going to bring you hope that you can do it to attitude in each and every conversation. My friends, it's a battle out there, a battle for the hearts and minds, the attention of you and everyone around you. And what goes into that mind? Is it something that's negative and challenging and soaking the life out of you or bringing you down? Or is it something that's inspiring you or teaching you or you can learn from? The lens that we put on all the things that we consume is paramount. And that's why today, team, I implore you as a fellow eternal optimist to put that lens on, to share this with any person out there, because we want to make a difference. We want to share some positive out there. So let's share the Eternal Optimist podcast with everyone and make this revolution come to the entire world. So having shared that, before we go any further, I would invite you to show up every Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. Eastern time for my live stream daily on Facebook and Instagram at Eternal Optimist Podcast. Follow me on those accounts. Today's episode, and this is a fun one. This was a very cerebral and a very heart-centered conversation. It goes in both of those directions. It touches on all the spectrum of emotion. It's with Mr. Adam Cuello. And that's spelled C-O-E-H-L-O, pronounced Cuello. Adam, amazing. Prepare yourself for a gem of a conversation. Adam is a father, a husband, an entrepreneur. He's the host of the Mindful Fire podcast. He's a Googler who leads a personal and professional development program which impacts thousands of people inside Google and beyond. He's cerebral and empathetic, a curious and amazing combination of qualities. Today, we talk about his early dive into entrepreneurship and technology when he created one of the first ever apps for the iPhone. We talk about how after college, he got into Google and then did the rotation of Asia, as he called it, where he was sent to China to teach technology concepts through full-time use of interpreters to over 300 publishers. <laughs> we talk about how he began overthinking his career moves and actually thought his way into depression and hit rock bottom and fulfilled his own inner narrative that he created. Then we make this amazing turn. He describes how it all changed as he came to study and truly grasp how our stories play a vital part in our lives. He shares how he began to approach life with a curious, kind awareness of questioning everything. Then our conversation hits another crescendo where Adam beautifully lays out the antidote to perfectionism. He goes deep into his work into envisioning by sharing an actual how-to process to help make your dreams come true. There are so many nuggets of wisdom here. Antennas up for another transformative conversation with an amazing human being, Mr. Adam Cuello. Enjoy.
What happens in uh, in the world of Adam Cuello? What does a uh, busy 15 minutes well, look like? I was finishing you? showering. <laughs> I was shaving my face. I was doing my hair. I was getting ready for the cleaners who are cleaning the house and getting my wife and son out the door. <laughs> so it was a very busy 15 yep. minutes. But here we are. I imagine that 15 minutes that you did all that, I imagine like 14 of those minutes was for the hair because your hair is amazing. (laughs) Uh, So I just got to say that to start. You have amazing hair. Thank you. You know, I'm very grateful for it and hoping it stays around as long as possible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you there. Even though no one could know if I had a shortage of hair because I'm so tall that no one could see the top of my head. (laughs) That's a benefit uh, that I do not enjoy. I'm five, nine and a half. See, I got to add the half. You feel obligated to add the half. I feel that I have to add the half as well. How tall are you? Maybe it's because six, six 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 and and a half. half. Yeah, that Uh, is, uh, uh, you're a tall tall dude. I think it's something to do with my identity has been formed around being an athlete, being taller and playing basketball, then eventually soccer and golf. And in addition to that, there's always this kind of nerd identity part of me, like the scholar part. Yeah, it's probably a little more dominant than the athletic part that they battle each other sometimes. Anyways, let's get out of the ADD realm that I sit in all the time and you can go down every rabbit hole imaginable. And uh, let's bring it back to... What we're here to talk about today, I would love to chat with you about challenges and lessons learned and what you're creating in the future. Let's dive in. So without any further ado, hello and welcome to the Eternal Optimist podcast, the show for optimists by optimists. This is the show for people who see the good in the world and want to make a positive difference in the lives of their families and communities. Each week, you'll hear inspiring stories that will get you thinking bigger and playing more offense in life. With your host and high-performance coach, Matt Drinkon. I'd like to welcome to the show my new friend, Mr. Adam Cuello. Adam Cuello. Good morning, Adam. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, Matt. Really great to meet you. Yeah, absolute pleasure. And we had a little discussion for the last couple of minutes and I've enjoyed it so far. And I'm looking forward to diving in deep today to share a little bit about challenges and lessons learned and what we're creating in the future. Let's start with a little bit of background. If you could just kick us off and start from childhood to now, what are the important things that we might want to know or need to know about you to kick us off for a few minutes here, Adam? Love to hear those things. Yeah. So, you know, what's coming to mind for me is I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. And, you know, as we'll get into kind of the story of how I unintentionally envisioned myself out of my dream job, which is a post you saw on LinkedIn and and sounds like it resonated with you. And, you know, it's the foundational story of why I'm doing what I'm doing. But to back up, it really comes from this identity of I'm an entrepreneur. It's maybe even I want to be an entrepreneur is the identity. And I have to remind myself again and again that I am an entrepreneur. I've been going way back to when I was a kid. I was the lemonade stand kid and selling candy, selling all these things, always selling, always trying to make a little money. And both my parents were entrepreneurial. They had small business of assisted living facilities in South Florida and grew that from an idea of one and then one facility to six facilities. And, you know, I saw that as an enabler of freedom, right? Whereas most people 
would go on vacation for a week or two, I saw that my parents were able to take off for a month in the summer and we'd go visit my family in Portugal and then go explore like Spain or another country in Europe. And so we'd be there for a month and I knew it was not normal, but it felt like, wow, this is like pretty cool that they can do this. And so I always had that entrepreneurial itch. And in college, I had a couple of little websites and worked to build a startup that was called CitySync. And it was really about connecting people together, making it easier to make plans with your friends. You know, so if you had a group of friends that you like to go golfing with, you didn't have to text them all and say, hey, do you want to go golfing? You say, hey, I'm thinking of going golfing at this time. And it would notify all the people who might be interested, and they could respond yes or no. And that didn't really go too far. <laughs> didn't make a lot of money with that. But it did let me test the waters and ultimately helped me that story and that experience helped me get a job at Google, where I've been working for the last 12 years. And so that was pretty helpful. Wow, CitySync, the startup. It sounds like some amazing app or some amazing opportunity. It sounds I, when you're saying this, I'm thinking that, yeah, I would like to have had that. If I need someone to come play in my golf force in a tournament because someone didn't show up, I'd love to just go post, hey, I'm going to be here at this time. Who wants to come join me or just something like that. Yeah. So it's good to see you got your feet wet there. How much time or resource or energy did you sink into a city sink? <laughs> what was that, that first experience? It was considerable. My parents were generous enough to give me some money to invest in getting the website and then eventually app. This was like 2009. So like iPhone apps were just becoming a thing. And I had one yeah. of the first iPhone apps. And it I think they invested around like 25 grand, which is a lot of money to invest in an idea that who knows if it's going anywhere. I was finishing up college when I started this. I went to the University of Florida in Gainesville. And so I was really focused on the college town experience, right? Because everyone's always going out trying to make plans. And it's just a lot of like back and forth and wasted energy. I thought, hey, let's see if we can make this easier. Certainly, there are things I've learned about validating the idea and making sure people actually want it. And there's actually a way to make a considerable amount of money with it. It wasn't exactly scalable, right? It was a lot of manual effort of what's going on in town, what are the events that are happening. And I learned a lot there. But really, just a lot about myself as well, right? Like, when do I go towards things? When do I run away from things? Procrastination and it, things I'm still working on, honestly, but really showed me that I can do it, right? That I can actually take an idea, turn it into something. And the best thing was like having people that I don't know tell me that they are aware of what I'm working on. Maybe you've had that experience with the podcast or otherwise, but like whenever I get someone listening to my podcast, it, that I don't know. It's wow. This is amazing. It's not just. It's not just my mom listening. Yeah. Oh, I think it's super important that you had the startup, and it did not turn into the next Facebook. What it did do is that it did give you that experience. You learned about yourself, learned about business, procrastination, all of these things that somehow we've got to learn them. And if you're an entrepreneur, you got to learn them probably under the line of fire, not just from a textbook. Absolutely. So I'm glad that you had that experience and. Yeah, I'd love to hear what happened next. I wasn't looking for a job. At the end of college, the bane of my existence was going to those big career fairs, walking around in a suit like this. I was just <laughs> like, I, it was just terrible. So I was like, I'm not looking for a job. I'm building CitySync. It's going to be huge. About six months after school ended, I got a Facebook message from a friend of mine, Jocelyn. And she said, 
she had interned at Google two summers and she reached out and said, hey, my team that I was on is hiring. Are you interested? Here's a couple positions. And I was thinking, okay, I'm not really looking for a job, but there are two companies that I'm open to exploring because my idea was eventually I'm going to move out to San Francisco, start my own company, build the next Facebook, build the next Google. And so when this opportunity came up, I said, I should pay attention. She helped me fix up my resume. And I had a, an interview on the phone and they invited me out to California for a in-person interview. So I flew over there and long story short, about a month later, I was living and working in California. So I, yeah, what? I basically wow. had to make the decision to close up shop on CitySync and go and live in California. Yeah, that was, that happened quick. What's the big difference when you finish college and you move from Florida to California? What's the culture shock difference if there is one? Because I'm sure there's something that's different out there. What is that? It felt like everyone was a little bit more chill, a little bit more relaxed when I got there. Certainly Google was a pretty intense place, but it was like fun and everything was new. I had been in Gainesville for four and a half years or so. And I was like, just used to doing the same thing. So it was like a breath of fresh air, meeting new people, smart, excited. Everyone around was building these huge companies and was really exciting. It was energizing. Awesome. Awesome. So you started Google and fast forward, you're at Google today and you're crushing it and what you're doing now. So I'm curious, where is the adversity and the challenges when you arrived at Google? Love, love to hear some about these challenges, please. Things were going well. Basically, it was like entry level, right? So I came in, I was working as an account manager, working with online publishers that had content and ads on their website. And so I was helping them grow through optimizing their websites, essentially. And I had this idea, right? Back to the entrepreneurial spirit. I had this idea that it's an obvious idea to me that if we help them actually improve their websites, then instead of just slamming more ads on the page, people might actually stay longer and come back more often. I know it's shocking, but that wasn't really an immediate moneymaker. So I found myself trying to do this user experience project and really resisting. I was like resisting the fact that wasn't happening. And so I was pushing and pushing. And then eventually I got the opportunity to go on a rotation to Asia. So it happened, but it was in a smaller capacity. And this, I talk a lot about envisioning, right? And that's the through line of this story is that whether we're aware of it or not, our thoughts and where we place our attention create our reality. And so when I was trying to make this UX thing happen, I was having these thoughts of, I want this to happen. I want this to happen. And then also just like complaining a lot about the fact that it wasn't happening. And so that was causing me a lot of suffering. But I was also planting the seeds. I use this analogy that our thoughts are like seeds. No, this, this is great. Our thoughts create the reality. And there was some complaining going on. So we weren't necessarily in that congruent space that you're in today. I'm with you. Okay. Yeah, please. Keep going. Yes, this is good. Hopefully your producer can edit some of this and make it make me sound like I know what I'm talking about. Do you ever feel like imposter syndrome sometimes because oh, yeah. you're very accomplished at what you do. You're very successful in what you do. But I think even the most successful people sometimes might question or might wonder. I feel it sometimes oh, for sure. when I get paid to talk for a living and to lead people with certainty. I feel it sometimes too. 
I'm just making a statement out there. I love everything you're talking about. Let's let's keep going. It, it's exactly where it needs to be. I appreciate that. Yeah, I absolutely do feel imposter syndrome from time to time. Mindfulness helps me be aware of it and not let it take over. When I'm talking and I feel like I'm rambling, I could definitely start to doubt. Am I actually making sense? Is this person actually interested in what I'm saying? And nine times out of 10, they are interested in what I'm saying. So that's where that imposter syndrome just needs to be put at bay. Getting back to what I was saying, I wanted to make this happen, an opportunity for me to test the waters on this incredible opportunity to go and essentially teach these concepts around our offices in Asia, starting in Australia, then going to Singapore and China and speaking to 300 publishers in China with a translator and then going to Japan. I mean, it was incredible. Whoa. What is that like being in China, having an interpreter speaking to how many publishers? 300. It was the most people I've ever spoken to at that point. And it was definitely nerve wracking, but also like very interesting to see the interpreter is it's incredible how they can translate in real time. They have an idea of what your presentation's about, but they're still translating in real time. And they actually have to switch off. There's like multiple people because it's like so taxing for them to do it. So they have to take like breaks frequently. It was awesome. And I'm thinking, oh, this is happening. Okay. And an opportunity came up where there was going to be a role. Finally, after I gave up on trying to make it happen, there was going to be a role for this. I apply and I don't get it. My friend, Sophia, who was working with me on this initiative, she got the offer to do it. So I think, oh, God. All right. It's not going to happen. Then she backs out and they come to me and say, hey, actually, would you like it? And I'm like, it doesn't feel great, but yeah, sure. Okay. And so this is where the story comes back to entrepreneurship. While I was in Asia, I started this like online training program called The Foundation. And the idea of this program was to build a SaaS company, software as a service company in six months by validating idea and then going out, pre-selling the idea and then building the solution that you identify, right? So going back to my CitySync days, doing the opposite of what I did. CitySync, I had an idea, I went and built it and then wanted to see if people found it. This was figure out if people want it, what they want, and then sell it and then build it. Ah, okay. And so I'm sitting in my little apartment in Tokyo and I'm calling people in the US trying to validate this idea at, like in the last month while I was there. And so I was like, okay, I'm doing it. I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to be an entrepreneur. And so as I come back into this role, I have this mindset of I'm going to be an entrepreneur, right? I'm going to make this work six months. I'm going to have a SaaS business. This is it. This is my jumping off point. Because I always thought I'd go out, work for Google for a couple of years, go work for a startup or start my own company. That was always the vision. And back to that identity, I want to be an entrepreneur. And so I have adopt this idea big time. <laughs> and I start telling myself this story, right? Coming back to the attention creates a reality. I start to tell myself this story. In order to be successful, I need to quit Google right? I need to build this business. Success looks like quitting Google, right? And I took it a step further. I started saying, if I get promoted at Google again, that means I have failed. Clearly, not the most useful story, 
<laughs> but I was so caught up that wow. I didn't even realize it. Oh, okay. So through this this process of creating, having the identity of I, I want to be, I am an entrepreneur, your inner narrative is saying that if I get promoted to Google, I'm actually failing. Right. Because I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm not very useful. How did that impact you like daily when you've got this big idea and you're going to work every day and you're really good at what you do on autopilot, you're good at what you do. How does this impact you day by day? <laughs> yeah, that's a little bit challenging. I have this opportunity that should be my dream job, right? I had been trying to make this user experience role happen for years. I have the opportunity, but I also have the idea that I need to make this side hustle, this SaaS business successful. And I'm waking up at 5 a.m. every day, calling people, validating the idea, working on this. I think I was working five to seven or five to eight. And then I catch the bus down to Google go to the office, work all day, come home, work more on it. Like I was all in. And when things started getting a little bit rocky with the day job, because for reasons we don't need to go into too much, but the project wasn't really set up for success from the start, right? The way that the team was structured, my direct manager didn't really care about it, but I had a dotted line manager who was leading the strategy, the scope was very big. Let's fix this for everybody immediately, right? So there were challenges. Coming back to my mindset, my mindset was, I'm quitting anyways. I don't need to fix these problems. And so I wasn't really showing up in the way that I would, if I went back, I would show up differently to address these problems and actually make the best of this opportunity. Instead, I had this mindset of like, oh, I'm going to quit anyways. And so fast forward to nine months into the project, my manager, the one who isn't that interested in this project in the first place, calls me into the office and says, Adam, the team's being eliminated and you have a few months to find a new job or leave Google. So that was a wow. bit upsetting, <laughs> quite upsetting, I should say. How upsetting was that in that, uh, in that moment, in that day, in that four months. I mean, it was devastating. Yeah, it was devastating. I had been very successful up until this point at Google, despite my resistance of things not happening necessarily the way I wanted them to happen. I was still being successful. And now I have this opportunity that is slipping through my fingers, basically, because this team the, is being eliminated. Experimental teams get eliminated at big companies all the time. This is happening to me. And so I, but I realized I have to, if I'm going to overcome this challenge, I, I got to go find a job. So I start talking to people. I start reaching out to friends inside, outside of Google. And I get to 30 days before the deadline. And I have a total of zero job offers. I had a ton of good interviews, late stage interviews inside, outside of Google. But I get to that 30 days before the deadline, looking down the barrel of the gun of leaving Google, and I have no offers. At that point is when I realized something's got to change. My mindset needs to change because the mindset I am working with is not helping me. And around the same time, the SaaS program that I was in, the foundation, that project also crashed and burned at the same time. Yeah. Oh. So <laughs> basically, I've done all this stuff. I've pre-sold this idea to a couple of companies Coincidentally, I was looking at the assisted living facility market like my parents were in because I knew it. But I found out that the solution I was proposing that I had pre-sold to two customers actually already existed. Somebody had already built 
there was a big company already doing this service. And so I said, I just abandoned and I was like questioning everything. And so both of these things are crashing down at the same time. It really was like my rock bottom moment. I remember I was like sitting in Golden Gate Park in San Francisco. I went out into nature for a walk because I was like, I'm absolutely miserable. I need to get some space. I need to get some quiet. Luckily, I had mindfulness and meditation as a practice. It was the early stages of my practice, but I had enough experience to know that I needed to get quiet and go within. And it really, that's the rock bottom point. And that's when I, that's when this realization that the stories that I'm telling myself are creating my reality and creating the actions that I take or don't take and the results that I get or don't get. Wow. Oh, Adam, can you take us to that moment? You're having this realization, you're feeling a rock bottom, you're at this realization moment and you're using mindfulness. It feels like I would frame it as using mindfulness as a tool or as your offense to, well, first to just to get Recentered, but I wonder what part mindfulness is playing at this moment in your life when you're at rock bottom, getting ready to make this whatever's coming next. How practiced are you? You said you're at the beginning of this mindfulness journey for yourself. What was your practice at that time to help you come to this realization and get centered? Yeah. About what was my practice at that time? I'd say I was a couple years into meditating and had some big leaps in my own self-awareness in terms of the stories getting back to what we were talking about at the beginning the inner critic before we started recording the inner critic i was completely unaware of this inner critic for the majority of my life i think at that point was like 25 26 years not even aware of it and this practice allowed me to turn down the volume on everything else and start to bring awareness to the stories that i'm telling myself and to realize that I don't need to believe all of the stories. Just because a thought pops into my head doesn't make it true, doesn't make it right, doesn't make it wrong. I can just observe it with a kind, curious awareness. And so at that point, I had that skill set. And it was supporting me. It had helped me in a lot of ways to deal with some of those times where I was really complaining a lot and realizing I had this story of just things aren't as they should be, or I'm not doing it right. I have this story that I, in my mind that I'm never doing it right. As if there's some right way to do it, some standard that I'm holding myself to that I couldn't even explain, but I'm certainly not doing it that way. And so that mindfulness really helped me to identify that. And so when I found myself in Golden Gate Park, questioning everything, what am I doing? Why am I doing all of this? And what am I going to do? I have 30 days before I'm going to lose my job at Google. Everything I built. Yes. And can you give us a quick a time yeah. check here? Where are you with children at this moment where you're at this rock bottom? Are you married yet? Family yet? Or where's this yeah, part so of your this, life? No, this is before kids. This is back in 2014. So I have a girlfriend at this time we're actually at this time we've gotten engaged so we're engaged we're going to be married the next year and kids came several years after that fortunately didn't have those considerations to think about but it was still very oh man what am i going to do i've been working at google this is not good 
I realized like the mindset that I'm bringing to this situation, to this job search is not working. So I need to change my mindset if I'm going to get through this and find a job in the next 30 days. And so that's where I thought back to this course I took at Google called Search Inside Yourself. And I'm now a facilitator of the Search Inside Yourself program. And it's an emotional intelligence course that teaches emotional intelligence through mindfulness. And it was developed at Google, is now offered all over the world through an institute called, the they call it SILI, S-I-Y-L-I, Search Inside Yourself Leadership Institute. And in that course, I learned obviously mindfulness, I learned this concept called envisioning, which is basically the idea that our brains are predictive. And in the course, they talk about a research paper called The Predicting Brain by a researcher named Regina Polly. And she says that even before events happen, our brain makes a prediction of what is most likely to happen and sets in motion the thoughts, perceptions, emotions, and even physiological responses for what's expected. She goes on to say, in a sense, we learn from the past what to predict for the future, and then we live the future we expect. And the way I think about this is, and I teach it now, is we're telling ourselves stories about how our life is going to be, and then we're acting out those stories. And so I was realizing in that moment that I've been telling myself a story that I don't want to do this job, I need to be an entrepreneur. And I didn't realize it in this moment that this story of I need to quit Google to be successful was completely creating the result that I eventually got. That was later. But ultimately, that was the case, right? I was telling myself, I want to quit Google, I want to lose my job at Google. And guess what I got? I lost my job at Google. <laughs> right? And I had to find a new job. And turns out if I really wanted to quit Google and be successful in quotes, I could have just quit Google. Turns out that wasn't the goal. <laughs> right? But I was so in it that I didn't see it. I would like to just throw this out there for the audience listening to put a little maybe if you're listening to this on your iPhone or on your Google phone, wherever it is, hit the rewind button 45 seconds, go listen to that section again, you know, about how our brains are consistently or constantly making predictions and that they were telling ourselves from the past, this is what happened. And now we are simply living out the stories from our past and we continue to tell ourselves. I think that's fascinating. And I would love, if you have it, I'd love to get Regina Polly's article, The Predicting Brain, and put that in the show notes. And now, a break for today's sponsor. And if you haven't figured it out yet, today's sponsor is Passive Aggressive Behavior. Do you like to cause anger and frustration in your fellow human beings? Do you like to put people in their places so they know you were right and they were wrong? We have a special offer for you today. So, be sure to write this down so I don't have to repeat it again. Enroll today in Passive Aggressive University, the number one place online to sharpen your skills in conveying messages with biting, sharp undertones that will certainly get you banned from all friendly invitations to fun team activities or just get invited out by friends. Because guess what? You won't have any anymore because they're not worthy of you. Why be kind, compassionate, and considerate when you can arise real feelings of resentment? Enroll today. Disclaimer. 
passive aggressive behavior is actually one of the evil causes of stress, anxiety, and frustration in other people. It causes others to resent, dislike, and ultimately not want to be around you. If you or someone you know suffers from passive aggressive behavior, keep listening to this show and you'll experience ways to behave without this painful side effect. Good luck. And now back to the show. I feel this is, and I'm excited talking about this. And I know that you have a course, you mentioned it. We're talking about envisioning. I'm super excited to dive deeper into this envisioning concept because I feel that this is a place that we can serve everyone that's listening right now. I'm So thank you for bringing it up. I'm getting excited. Please continue. This concept of envisioning is so powerful because we're doing it all the time, right? I'm describing now that I was doing it negatively, right? And a lot of people, the, the story, the inner narrative in their head is not so positive and is doing that, right? When we tell ourselves, think of somebody who tells yourself, man, I always have bad luck, right? Or, oh, this always happens to me. What do they get? They get more evidence of that because their brain is ready to see that. And so getting back to my situation, I chose from that moment on to envision the future I want and to tell myself the stories that will be helpful in me getting what I want, which is ultimately a job that I love, that's secure, paying me well, working with great people, interesting work, not too revolutionary, but that's what I was hoping for. I took this idea of envisioning, which is essentially just sitting down and writing out journaling, right? And I have my envisioning guide available on my website at mindfulfire.org start. That exercise is a variation of what I'm describing, but it's essentially just sitting down and writing out the future that you want in the present tense to essentially start planting the seeds of that vision in your mind. And I had another practice that I had learned around that time, essentially an affirmations practice where I chose new mindsets and I chose new beliefs of how that would support me and allow me to show up in the way that would lead me to that vision. And so in this moment, the world is abundant with opportunity. And the second one is, I don't worry about doing things right or wrong. I just take action, which leads to learning, progress, and growth. And so each day when I would meditate, I would sit, allow my mind to settle, and then I would state these affirmations. So I'd say, the world is abundant with opportunity. And I would visualize in my mind, how is that true in the past? I would see situations where I was living this and I was showing up and I was doing it and opportunities were coming to me. Then I would say it again and visualize how it's true in the present. How is this happening in my life right now? Despite my circumstances, despite this difficult situation I'm in, how is that true? I have a beautiful fiance. I have a safe home to live in, so on and so forth. Then I would say it again and visualize in the future. I would see opportunities coming to me, friends reaching out to me, job. I would see myself in the job that I ultimately would get, all of that type of thing. And I would do that with both of these beliefs. And amazing things started to happen in my experience. I started to see opportunity everywhere. I had friends reaching out to me saying, hey, my team has headcount or go talk to this company. I can introduce you to the person. I started taking action that I wouldn't otherwise have taken. So for instance, I wanted to interview with this company and I looked on LinkedIn and saw that I was connected to the CEO of the company 
through a CEO of a company I had worked with when I was doing that publisher work. And so I said, I don't worry about doing things right or wrong. I just take action. So I reached out to the guy. I said, hey, can you introduce me to him? He introduces me. Next thing you know, I'm having a meeting with the CEO. He's recommending me to the COO. And the COO is telling the hiring manager like, hey, go hire this guy. And so I end the 30 days with not one, but two job offers, one at that company and one within Google. Obviously, I took the one in Google. It wasn't a no-brainer, but obviously, looking that I've said I've been there 12 years, it's pretty obvious. So what's happening there? Like, it's not magic. It's not like suddenly there were just opportunities everywhere. It was that I was more ready to see them. And I often use the analogy of if you've ever got a new car, like a, say a Subaru Forester like I have, suddenly there's Subaru Foresters everywhere. Or when my wife was pregnant, suddenly there are pregnant women and babies everywhere. It's not that there are Subarus or babies everywhere, although there are. It's just that I'm just ready to see them. And so this is the power of envisioning. When we plant the seeds of the mindsets that we want or the things that we want, we start to see them in our experience because our mind is primed and ready to see them. And so the powerful thing about this practice is that we're telling ourselves stories all the time. Mindfulness allows us to bring a kind, curious awareness to become aware of the stories that we're telling ourselves. And then we can choose if that story is useful. We can always ask when we find ourselves caught up in a story, is this useful? And if it's not useful, we can just let it go and choose a new story. And envisioning is really the practice that we can use to choose a new story and use the power of our predicting brain to make that story a reality. I'm fascinated by what you've shared. I've been taking some notes over here tracking the progression and i really want to help the listeners who because i know we have two types of people that listen we've got people that might have that rock bottom moment and are really struggling and then we've got people that are high performers that are looking for that edge and i feel that you have covered all of that nicely from your rock bottom to now where you started mindfulness you became more aware of your stories then you, because you're aware of your stories, you started to ask yourself, is it useful? Then, now that you're asking questions about your stories that you're aware of, now you've learned how to rewire the stories and set new stories. And you did this through the process of writing affirmations, the two powerful affirmations that I love. I wrote them down. I'm going to use them both. I love them. And a visualization or envisioning process. And it all started, my friends out there listening, it all started when we were at Rock bottom is when we made the decision, the commitment to change the script. So you can do it when you're in a tough place. And when you're in a strong place, you can do it even better or more, if that's yeah. the word, or more Absolutely. clearly. You're more resourced yeah. to be able to do it. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's the powerful thing here is kind of think of it as rock bottom is a chance for us to say what we've been doing is not working. So here's an opportunity to try something new and envisioning it's a fairly easy thing to do, right? It's just essentially dreaming big about your life, right? And so it takes a little bit of will and space, but it's a hopeful exercise, right? I think that's what's so powerful about it. It's fun to do and it's hopeful and it opens up a world of possibilities. 
Because when I instruct people to do this exercise, whether in my envisioning guide or if I'm leading a workshop at Google or outside or just talking about it, I always say, when you go into this exercise, say you're going to envision your life three or five years out, you're going to write in the present tense, describing your life in that moment as if everything went better than expected, better than you could even have imagined. And the instruction I give is all take all of those rational, logical, perfectly reasonable limitations that we all put on ourselves and just set them aside for a minute. Just put them to the side for a moment and take the opportunity to embark with a sense of curiosity, possibility, and exploration, thinking really big to the point that it's, this is ridiculous. This is never going to happen, right? Just huge, you know, and, and think about how you want to feel, right? How do you want to feel in that moment? What do you want your life to look like? Whether it's material or non-material things, it's totally up to you, but just think really big. And I think that's really hard for people. I think it's hard for people to do that. But when you do that, you might touch on something that's deep inside that you wouldn't really normally identify because we have all these limitations of what's possible and what's not possible. So I think there's power to setting those aside and just knowing they'll be there when you're done. But for this 10 minutes, I'm going to think really big. Okay. Yeah. So you got to commit in that 10 minutes, you have to commit to letting some of those belief systems, just they'll be here when you get back in 10 minutes. But for this 10 minutes, you've got to be completely open and curious. I heard you say Something earlier I wanted to bring back up when you talked about that moment at the Golden Gate Park, when you were questioning everything, you said that you had a kind, curious awareness. And I'm wondering, except this idea of curiosity, being open-minded to things, I think this is one of the building blocks of, from my experience at least, the building blocks of how I've been able to become a better dad and become a more active listener and better husband, better businessman, you name it. Curiosity is one of those pillars. So I'm curious, at what stage in your life did curiosity come into play? Is it from the very beginning? Is it something you learn as a necessity to survive at the rock bottom moment? Where does curiosity play for you in all this? That's Adam? a wonderful question. I'd say curiosity has been there the whole time. Whether or not I gave it the importance that I do now and that I sounds like you do as well. I didn't recognize how powerful curiosity was all along, but it has always been there. That's why I was always like building things and taking things apart and playing in different ways. I think kids are naturally curious and that has been always there. And the entrepreneurial story and entrepreneurial desire is born out of curiosity. And so when I say a kind, curious awareness, right? That's how I describe and define mindfulness. And it's just the ability to observe our experience with a kind, curious awareness. What is that? Oh, there's that story again. Huh, okay, that keeps coming up. Oh, what am I feeling? Let me get curious about what I'm feeling. Oh, let me get curious about this person so I can connect with them more. The more I follow my curiosity, the more fun I'm having, the more success I'm having, and everything just seems to go better, right? It's when I'm trying to force things, like I was trying to force the SaaS company and I was trying to force that project or the UX, the user experience project, right? When I'm trying to force, life feels difficult and hard and heavy. 
when I'm being curious, it feels light and fun and full of possibility. And so I think curiosity is an absolute superpower in all aspects of life. And you mentioned parenting. I am trying to cultivate that more and more in my family life because it's not coming so naturally there for whatever reason. There's the, it should be a certain way. You should listen to me. And when you don't listen to me, you're disrespecting me. No, you're just a four-year-old kid. You're not disrespecting me. You're just being a kid. And I would be wise to be more curious. So I'm glad to hear that's helped you as a parent. I'm going to say something out loud I've not ever said before. I'm in this journey, I call it the bender of life, just like everyone else. And I just made a note that I believe that curiosity coupled with grace is the antidote to perfectionism. Because I feel that when you're talking about, say, for example, the four-year-old, five-year-old kid, are they disrespecting me? Are they challenging my authority? No, they're a kid. Have, give a little patience and grace. They're a kid. They don't know or understand the importance or the value of, I have to sit at dinner table and be quiet or turn off the show at this time that they don't get it. So that perfectionism showed up for me as a parent. And it certainly showed up as a high achiever where I was stuck thinking that it's not working out the way that I wanted to work out. I could do more. I could be more. That's my version of challenging myself with I'm an entrepreneur and I don't need to be here at Google. My, my version of that was being a perfectionist and I can always do more and not quite satisfied with it. And through curiosity and a heck of a lot of you call it envisioning, I would call it visualization, even though now I'm going to I'm going to take the page from your playbook, Adam, because I love what you did here. You'd ask what it looked like in the past and the present and the future. You start to see opportunity everywhere through your affirmations. And I'm a daily journaler and I'm going to use that. The same affirmations start looking in the past, present and future for, for what you just described. And by the way, like you talked about earlier, you felt like you might be going all over the place. I always go all over the place. So Thank you for uh, for listening for a moment as I just went on my my. I open. love it. Yeah. So I love. Anyways, this. how does that connect with you? Curiosity and grace, antidote to perfectionism, or the secret sauce to getting what you want, what you have envisioned. I think yeah, it hit me in every part of my body because I, you're talking about it in the example of the giving it to others, but I think giving it to ourselves is so critical. And yeah, perfectionism, like. I used to say I'm a closet perfectionist. Like I, I show up as, oh, I'm go with the flow, whatever. It's all good. But when I'm doing th like I'm absolutely a perfectionist, right? That's why I procrastinate. That's why I don't do certain things because if I can't do it perfectly, which again, to that standard that, that I'm not doing it right, there's a right way to do it. And if I'm not doing it right, then I'm failing. Like that is a struggle for me, for sure, has been, is a little better now, but I assume it's going to be a lifelong practice. But curiosity and grace sounds like the antidote to that. Can I give myself grace on a day where, like yesterday, where I was just in a bad mood because my son was up for two hours in the night. He was sick. I was worried he might have COVID. And it was just like fear and everything was coming together. And it was just a rough day because it didn't go as planned, right? And can I give myself grace? And maybe it's not going to be the most productive day. And can I get curious with, oh, what am I feeling? And I realized last night after this whole day that I effectively chose at some point in the morning that this is going to be a bad day. <laughs> and I just kept, I kept reinforcing that, planting the seeds. And there's the, the stories in our, that we tell ourselves creating our reality again, even though I know this. 
I still get caught in it. And can I give myself grace to say, okay, I can do better today. I can try again. It always feels like life and death, but yeah, long way to say curiosity and grace. That sounds like something I can get on board with. I appreciate that you're sharing this. It just goes to show anyone listening out there that even high performers, the people you look at and think, damn, they're successful. They've figured something out. If I can go so far as to say that Adam or I have figured something out and we might be successful, if I were to make that statement, I think we're proving right now that, yeah, we have these moments where we still feel and think about these challenges. And one thing that serves us is this curiosity and grace. And because Adam has a mindfulness practice, I have a mindfulness practice, we're able to catch ourselves so that next time we start to have a bad day, that grace period, it it pops up. And the time it takes us to recover and realize it, it shortens. And that's how we practice it. And that's how we get, I would say the word better really resonates with me, get better or we improve or we gain more grace and patience with ourselves. So I appreciate you for working through all of that, teaching us and working through it with us, Adam. I'd love to ask this, and then we'll go to our lightning round of questions. I'd love to ask if there's someone out there who is having a challenge, and we don't know all the details about the challenge they're having, but let's just say that they're having a challenge with this idea of mindfulness. I tried meditation. It didn't. It just doesn't work. It's a lot of hoopla. I tried affirmations, this visualization stuff, that's just a bunch of Tony Robbins, magic, blah, blah. If there's someone that's putting up a barrier and has decided that's not going to work for them, is there anything we might be able to say to them to get them to try it one more time and try it differently? This envisioning or this, this process of mindfulness that we're talking about. I think that's a completely normal experience. And I think that 90% of people who try meditation think, I'm terrible at this. I'm my mind is all over the place. My mind's too busy. It's too fast. It's too whatever. And I can't do this. Right. I had that experience when I first started meditating. Three weeks in, I gave up. I was convinced I was doing it wrong. There's that story again. I was convinced I was doing it wrong. And I just said, this is not for me. But what really helped me is bringing more self-compassion into the practice. And the official definition of mindfulness has two components. And so this definition comes from John Kabat-Zinn, one of the foremost leaders of mindfulness in the West. He says that mindfulness is the awareness that arises from paying attention on purpose in the present moment, non-judgmentally. And so there are The non-judgmental pieces, back to what I was saying before, kind, curious awareness, right? It's bringing an attitude of openness, kindness, and curiosity. And so that's one, one piece often overlooked. The other piece is the awareness, right? Bringing your attention to what's happening. But for so long, I was only focused on the awareness piece. The more I brought in the kind, curious awareness, right? Or grace, right? You, the way you were talking about grace is very much aligned with this. The more I could bring in that there's not a right way to do this. Even if your mind is wandering the entire time, which you should expect, right? Another thing that's been helpful is expect your mind to wander. But even if it's wandering the whole time, it's still a valuable exercise. It's still changing the structure and function of your brain through neuroplasticity, improving your attention, improving your awareness off the cushion. And it just is a nice break, right? For me, that was the thing that helped me 
stick to it. It's like, I just enjoy this time. Even if my mind's all over the place, I like it to just calm down. And then I'll say one more thing that our minds are like snow globes. They're constantly being shaken up and agitated by our thoughts, our emotions, our external experience. Mindfulness is like setting the snow globe down on a table, allowing the snow to settle. And so you can see more clearly what's inside. And so anytime we find ourselves really frazzled and carrying a lot in our head, it's really helpful to just set that snow globe down on the table, sit on a cushion, sit on a bench, and just breathe for a few minutes and let it be however it is. Wow. Amazing. Thank you for that. I marked that clip. You're going to see that again on a YouTube short or something. That was an amazing little nugget of wisdom there for the last couple of minutes. That was awesome. Thank you. I'd love to ask, how can we find out more about you and your envisioning guide and practice and your podcast? Just what are the different ways we can connect with Adam? Sure. Yeah. So you can go to my website, mindfulfire.org. That's where you can find my contact information, my podcast episodes. You can search for the Mindful Fire podcast in your podcast player. But I'd really invite you to take the first step to putting envisioning to work for you. And you can do that by going to mindfulfire.org start. And that will allow you to download my free envisioning guide, which walks you through the process that we've been talking about here to think really big about your life and to start planting the seeds of the vision that you want. And, you know, my podcast, the Mindful Fire podcast is all about crafting a life you love and making work optional using the tools of mindfulness, envisioning and financial independence. And so I always say that the first step is figuring out what is the vision you have for your life. And then you can start to use these tools, mindfulness, envisioning and financial independence to build that life. And then the last thing I'd say is you can connect with me on LinkedIn, my my name is spelled Adam, A-D-A-M. Last name is Cuello, C-O-E-L-H-O. And I imagine Matt can put a, a link in the show notes. But I share content every day about this concept of what I call mindful fire, crafting a life you love, like I said. And so putting content out about mindfulness, envisioning, and financial independence every day. And would love to see you there and answer any questions that you have. Awesome. Can't wait to do that. I'm going to personally do that as soon as we finish with this discussion. So thank you, Adam, for sharing. Ding, ding, ding. Let's go to the lightning round here to wrap things up in the next couple of minutes. When I say eternal optimism, what is the topic, eternal optimism? What does that mean to you, Adam? It means always finding something good in every situation. So whether you're having the best day of your life and everything is great, easy to see it then. But if you're having a rough time like I was having when I was at rock bottom, there were still things to be grateful for, right? As I said, I have a home, I have a, a partner who loves me and cares for me. I was in a beautiful setting, right? So I think eternal optimist is just finding that bright spot and anchoring in on that and moving forward from that place of it, it's going to be okay and it's going to keep getting better. Thank you. What movie or song, TV show uh, gives you energy or inspiration? I'm blanking. <laughs> Me. Okay. I think. Let's come back to it. <laughs> what might be a book or two that's on your nightstand or that's had an impact on you over the last yeah, decade of your that, life? That one I, that comes to mind much easier. So, The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. So, same last name as me. I call him Tio Paulo. 
which means Uncle Paulo, but he's not really my uncle, but uh, hopefully one day we'll meet. It's just a simple allegory of following your, per, your what do you call it, your personal legend. And it's so easy to read and it's so powerful to go back to it at different points in your life and you get different things out of his simple story that you can just, it puts your life in perspective. And so I've been meaning to read it again since I've had another kid and just, I can't wait to dive back into it. So that's The Alchemist by Paulo Cuello. I align with you, brother. I got that one on the shelf right behind me. That's one of my favorite orange books. I can actually yeah, see it in my webcam right now. It's, yeah, it's been impactful. I, I'm, I want to thank you for this impact you've had on me and our audience today and just appreciate you sharing you know, transparently your experience from rock bottom to serving the world through envisioning. Just, it's been amazing. And everyone out there, please feel free to check out the Mindful Fire podcast and go to mindfulfire.org backslash start to download the free envisioning guide. Adam, thanks so much for being here, my friend. You're much appreciated. Thank you, Matt. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I hope this was valuable for people. I feel like I was working through some stuff in here, but I hope it was valuable. And I'm always available to chat and have answer any questions you have about envisioning, mindfulness, financial independence, or anything. So feel free to reach out. And thanks again, Matt, for having me. Thanks, brother. Thanks for listening to the Eternal Optimist podcast. You can check the show notes for information about today's episode. And please share the show with that friend who is wanting to think bigger. We'll see you next time.